How long can we really keep you here this morning? You have no idea. Uh, so, Mediterranean, Whole30, Paleo, Keto, The Zone. What do these words all have in common? Popular diets, each of them. Any of you on one of these diets? Come on, I'll be first. Hello, my name is Craig Bailey. I'm a dieter. I've been on the keto diet for nine days now. True story. Dieting is a national pastime. According to the Boston Medical Center, approximately 45 million Americans diet every year, and we spend $33 billion on weight loss products. That was billion with a B. So our problem appears to lie more in having too much food or in choosing which foods among an array of options we want to eat instead of the problem of not having enough food. Most of us wouldn't call that a problem. We would call that a blessing. It certainly is a blessing. Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, and so we thank him. That every day, day by day, all day long, he meets those needs for us. But our praying Jesus is also, as we've seen in the course of these last weeks, uh, as we've studied the Beatitudes, seeing that he is paradoxical. Our praying Jesus is paradoxical. He makes statements that don't seem to make sense to us. When we are full, and we like to be full, And when we have everything we need, and we like to have everything we need, we might actually be experiencing great lack. Because in our fullness that we have provided for ourselves, we might miss out on something more filling, more satisfying. So this morning we need to open ourselves up to to the benefits, and not only the benefits, but, but the beauty that we can find when we are in need because you and I must experience the filling, the satisfaction, the provision of the Lord. Do you want to experience that? Do you? I do. Toward that end, uh, we, we need to turn to the word of the Lord. Find that provision there. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to ask you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. And when you found your place in Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to ask you to stand out of honor to the word of the Lord as we hear his word read together. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come now to your word, we just confess that we believe in our minds and our hearts that True satisfaction is found only in you. 
who you are and how you reveal yourself and who you reveal yourself to be in your words. So, Lord, we're, we're desperate to, to know you better, see you more clearly as we come to your word this morning, experience the, the filling, the satisfaction that you alone can bring. So, we pray that you would do that in us and through us as we come now together around your word, grateful that you are present with us. Grateful that you are active in us through your spirit. So we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. I'm not suggesting that hunger is not a problem here in Charleston or in other places in the U.S., but that's a topic for another sermon. But among us here today, I don't think that hunger or thirst is a real ongoing problem. So that's a problem for us because it makes it more difficult for us to enter into what Jesus is teaching his disciples through this beatitude. For those gathered on the hill, hillside listening to Jesus, those with whom Jesus is seeking to make a, a connection so that his teaching will penetrate and go deep into their hearts and minds, for those people... Hunger was a real problem to which they could relate. Charles Carls writes in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, few modern Americans have experienced true hunger or thirst. Few first century Jews had not. It was a common experience. We know the world of Jesus' day. We know the world of the Old Testament that preceded it. The world of hunger, famine, brought hunger. Political unrest in the world led to, to revolts and sieges that brought hunger and starvation. The way social institutions were structured or not structured required the people who were hungry for whatever reason, through joblessness or sickness or disease, or other physical conditions like blindness or lameness, those people had to beg for food. All that to say, the people listening to Jesus, for them, hunger was a reality of their lives. They had either seen it or experienced it personally. So imagine how jarred his listeners would be how thrown off balance they would be, how destabilized they would be to hear Jesus say, blessed, blessed are those who hunger. Because no one would say that hunger is a blessing. Far more likely, they would expect to hear or say themselves, cursed are those who are hungry, right? It's it's a curse in life not to have enough food to eat. Hunger is usually not a good condition in which to find yourself. But with this statement, the paradoxical Jesus, he's repositioning his listeners, causing them to squirm a little, hooking them, making them want to know how hunger and thirst, conditions they know to be not good things, how could blessing ever come from them? And of course, the same is true for us. We have to be jarred a little bit, thrown off balance, to believe that this kind of lack is a good thing. Because the word Jesus uses here for hunger, it means just what you think it would mean. It means to to feel 
the pangs here in your stomach from lack of food. The difference for us comes in understanding that the hunger Jesus is talking about is not just one hour before lunch or one hour before dinner. I'm so hungry I could eat my fist, right? That's not the kind of hunger that Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about a persistent hunger. And so he uses the present participle for the word to indicate that what he's talking about is an ongoing hunger, a hunger that lasts for days. The kind of hunger that destabilizes you. It knocks you off a a normal daily rhythm of having daily bread. Changes your behavior, this kind of hunger does. It makes you do things you wouldn't normally do. It makes you think about things you wouldn't normally think about in order to alleviate the hunger. It destabilizes you emotionally because now you have this new longing. These are the kind of moments when we feel unstable that God uses most effectively in our lives because God gets our attention when we're knocked off balance or when our lives are out of rhythm. The instability and the vulnerability present you and me with opportunities to look for God, to listen for God, to trust in God in ways that we might not if we were not hungry or if we had everything we ever wanted. Hunger opens us up to do what we would not consider doing apart from that hunger. To think about what we wouldn't think about if we were not hungry. To long for that which we would not long apart from that hunger. And so I think that's why hunger is such a persistent reality in Scripture. I want to highlight four instances. Four instances of hunger in the Old Testament. To see how God used it and how His people responded to it. You ready? There we go. Number one, let's start with Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham, you know the story, to leave his, his country, this pagan country. It's all he ever known. Go from your country, your father's house, and go to the land that I will show you. And that land was Canaan, the promised land. So Abraham obeyed, and, and he went, and he settled in that land. And then after he gets to the land that God said go to, Scripture tells us there was a famine in the land. And so scripture says that Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was severe in the land. So now Abraham's life is destabilized. It's off balance. His life rhythm is interrupted because he's got to relocate. And so we ask, Lord, what are you up to? Why call Abraham to the promised land and then make him have to leave it? Well, the secret things belong to God, so we can't answer definitively. We do know that this is early in the relationship of God and Abraham. And so I wonder if God was using hunger as an opportunity to teach Abraham more faith and more trust and more righteousness. Well, when Abram got to Egypt, unfortunately, he did not display the same fresh faith and total trust that had once caused him to obey God, to leave his home and go to the promised land. And so to me, that sounds like a 
very familiar scenario. You and I start out well with the Lord, don't we? Remember the excitement when you came to faith? Remember how you felt the Spirit and you didn't care if anybody else believed you or not. You knew that you had been made new. But then before long, we begin to relapse into our old ways and our old patterns. Just like the Galatians. The Apostle Paul wrote to them, you foolish Galatians, foolish. After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Well, Abraham relapsed into old, familiar, pre-faith ways. And so when he got to Egypt, he plotted with his wife. And he said, say you are my sister. Or because you are beautiful, so beautiful, they will kill me to get you. Not a righteous thing to do. God had Abraham in a vulnerable position. He was in great need. He was in an unfamiliar place at the mercy of unfamiliar people. But instead of pursuing the Lord in his righteous ways to bring stability and to restore the rhythm to his life, instead of depending on the Lord to provide for the needs that drove him to that place, Abraham depended on himself, his own wit, and his own resources. And so therefore, Abraham squandered the opportunity of experiencing the filling of the Lord. And that's tragic because that's what Abraham needed to experience the most. That's what we need to experience the most. So we have an opportunity to stop and think ahead of time about how we're going to respond when we are vulnerable, when we're needy, when our life rhythm is unexpectedly interrupted, when we feel like we're thrown off. We must not squander the opportunities The Lord gives to us to pursue righteousness by trying to right our world by our own strength, our own power, our own wit, our own resources. You don't want to be hungry. You don't want to have great need. Neither do I. You don't want to be knocked off balance. You don't want your life to be destabilized. Neither do I. But I'm not convinced that we will passionately pursue the Lord and His will and His right ways when we feel secure and stable and in control. It seems that when our life rhythm is interrupted, when we feel unstable and vulnerable, that's when we pursue the Lord most. And so for that reason, blessed are we when we hunger and thirst. The second instance of hunger... Now we're with Jacob, the grandson of Abraham. He too is living in the promised land. A great famine comes on them. Now there was no food, Scripture says, in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. Now Joseph's life, Jacob's life, is interrupted. His life is destabilized. He's thrown off, and he's no longer a young man. And hunger has now put him in this vulnerable position, a place that Jacob did not want to be. 
And so Jacob is required to pack up his life, to pack up the 70 members of his family and move to Egypt. And guess what? He's never going to get to go back home, at least not alive. But God uses the hunger for good. God kept Jacob and his 70 family members in Egypt. And while he kept them there, he multiplied them into millions of people who could now have nation status. And that's a good thing. Because God said that through this nation, he would bless the nations of the world. And God got them to this place through hunger. Blessed are those who hunger. Because we don't know why God is bringing that hunger. We don't know the good purpose, the bigger than my life purpose he's accomplishing through it. But we wait and we watch for that purpose, for what it is and how God will fill us in the midst of that great need. Third instance of hunger. Now we're with Moses. He's led his people out of slavery in Egypt, but they find themselves in the desert. And the people say to Moses, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full? For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. (laughs) These people are definitely destabilized, thrown off balance, vulnerable. The usual ways of getting food for them were no longer available to them here in the desert. They might have been slaves in Egypt, and that might not have been a good thing, but at least it was familiar to them. Now they're vulnerable, and God uses that vulnerability. God will satisfy their hunger by His miraculous provision, by something only He could do. And you know the story. God sent bread from heaven. Manna. You could scarcely believe it if you experienced it. But when they were most vulnerable, God made one of his greatest provisions. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. They would not have known the power and the provision of the Lord apart from their great need. Forty years later, after wandering in the desert, the manna-eating years are just about over. The promised land, it's in sight. They can see it right across the Jordan River, and they're getting ready to enter it. They're so close to being home. And so Moses says to the people, You shall remember, you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. He humbled you, and listen, let you hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, Nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Did you catch that? God let his people be hungry. Because God, in this vulnerable moment, was teaching them to hunger after something more than bread because bread alone is not enough. The living word of the living God 
is what they needed most. And you and I have that exact same need. We need the living word of the living God. And if it takes being thrown off balance, losing our rhythm, being vulnerable to learn that lesson, then we have to say, blessed are those who hunger. Fourth instance. Now we're with David. And he was destabilized. His life was thrown off rhythm because he was literally fleeing. He was running for his life because King Saul desperately wanted to kill him. He was hungry. So David goes to the tabernacle, to the priest who's there, and he lied to the priest so that the priest would give him the holy bread out of the tabernacle off the the show table. Bread that God said should be eaten by no one but the priests. Well, David lied. The priest believed. He gave David the bread. David fled. Quickly, David found himself in the custody of the king of Gath. And so in order to escape, David pretended to be insane. He, he scratched marks on the, 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 the doors of the gate. Can you imagine his fingernails scratching into that? And he let a spit run down his beard. And so the king said, Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? That's what David did. It wasn't a proud moment for David. Lying, humiliating himself. But look, David learned what is really true in this most vulnerable situation. Because David writes this in Psalm 34. It's about this very moment. It's why he wrote the psalm. David writes, O taste and see that the Lord is good. The hungry are called by David to taste the goodness of the Lord. It's something, the goodness of the Lord, it, it's so real. You can taste it. The hungry discover that. He continues, Psalm 34, Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. See what the hunger did for David? Destabilized him. Taught him. Taught him that it's the Lord who is good. Not the bread that he got through deception. He tasted the goodness of the Lord, the deliverance of the Lord. So can you. So can I. When we take refuge in the Lord, when we stand in awe of Him. That's what it means to fear the Lord. Lord, I'm such awe of you. Your goodness, your power. I spent all this time focusing on being hungry. Because we are really not. We're not hungry, not physically, not materially. We really don't want to be. We want to avoid this condition that we most need, which is to be hungry, which is to be empty. And we need to feel it because Jesus 
And this beatitude is inviting his listeners to enter into this place of great need and great want. And he uses the paradox of the situation as if hunger can ever be a blessing to highlight that yes, 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 it can be. Yes, blessed can be those who hunger and thirst. You and I can be blessed when we hunger and thirst if we pursue what satisfies that hunger and thirst. And you and I have to be thrown off balance. We have to be destabilized to realize that satisfaction won't come from our comfortable routine. Through self-provision, through bread alone, it can only be found in the righteousness of Christ. And so Jesus wants his listeners to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And so as we move on this morning, we got to think about what it is that we hunger and thirst for. What is righteousness? Let me just say that entire books are written on this theological concept of righteousness. It's a big one, a big truth. But, but, but two aspects of righteousness I want to consider this morning to, to differentiate them so that we understand what it is Jesus is teaching and what it is he wants you and me to pursue. The first aspect of righteousness is the legal one. Are you guys okay? Little mental break? Whoo! Ready? All right. Aspect one of righteousness, the legal aspect. It takes us into God's courtroom. God's a judge. He's seated on his bench. We stand before him. And if when we stand before him, if when we are summoned to speak, if at that moment we are truly poor in spirit, as the first beatitude requires, if we say to the Lord, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling, I have nothing to recommend myself to you but faith in Christ. Lord, I have no excuses for my sin. Lord, I am guilty. Lord, my only hope is in Jesus, so I put my faith in Him. In that moment, the gavel falls, and you are declared by God to be not guilty. And you are justified. You are made right with God. Your sins are forgiven. And the perfectly right life, the perfectly righteous life that Jesus lived while he was here on earth, God gives it to you. Go figure. Because I can't. I can't figure it out. I just accept it as part of tasting How good the grace of God is in the moment of greatest need. This aspect of righteousness, it's a one-time act. We can't pursue it. We can't chase after it. We, We can't attain it by our own effort. And though we are eternally thankful for this aspect of righteousness, it's not the aspect that Jesus has in mind here. Or Jesus would be inviting us and his listeners to pursue the kind of righteousness that he gives to us as a free gift of God's grace. We can't pursue it. We can't earn it. So there's a second aspect of righteousness. And this aspect of righteousness addresses our character as believers and the way we conduct ourselves. It addresses the heart motivation of why you and I Want to live a life of obedience. Look down in verse thirty of Matthew, verse 20 of Matthew 5. 
Jesus says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So, so get it, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they sought righteousness. They sought to live lives of obedience. They sought to conform to God's law, but their obedience was only external. It was not from the heart, and therefore it was not true righteousness. And that's why Jesus makes this startling comparison between them and the whitewashed tombs. He said, Jesus did, the Pharisees and teachers of the law, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish. No, now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. And so in this beatitude, Jesus is calling the disciples, He's calling you and me to hunger for something much deeper than outward obedience to a set of rules. Have you ever noticed that the church is good at setting rules for outward behavior? Somebody confessed, and I'm not the only one that's seen that. The church is good at that, monitoring outward behavior. Jesus was calling his listeners, just as he's calling you and me right now, to a righteousness of the heart that's motivated by love for him. The righteousness Jesus calls us to here is living our lives in accordance with his word because we love the Lord, because we want to obey the one who has satisfied our deepest hunger. Because we're not interested in being religious. We aren't interested in looking religious. Our goal is not to be able to answer all the questions and win a game of theological, trivial pursuit. From the depths of our being, we hunger for Christ. We want to taste We want to see that the Lord is good. We want to conform our lives to the will of God. We want to daily seek to become more and more like Christ. That's the righteousness to which Jesus calls us in this beatitude. That's the urgency contained in these words, in this beatitude. There's a desperation contained in them. We have to be desperate for righteousness in our lives. As desperate as we are for food when we're really hungry. we got to be desperate to know the will of God. we got to be desperate to be conformed more and more to the image of Christ. To say, Lord, I want to be like you. This is the longing of the truly hungry, truly thirsty person. And when we're hungering, and when we're thirsting for that kind of righteousness, Jesus promises that we will be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And here's the good news. Want some good news? The verb satisfied here is in the passive tense. 
You could, could call it the, the divine passive tense. It promises something to us that Jesus alone can give to us. Just like he gave it to the Samaritan woman when he sat down beside her at the well. When he said, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is the ultimate. It doesn't get any better than this, right? Water that takes away your thirst forever. It's Jesus. Please don't let that fall on deaf ears. Because you have heard it so often, because you have heard it for a lifetime, believe it. Only Jesus can quench your deepest thirst. When hunger, when we hunger and thirst, it leads us to the Jesus who said to the thousands of people that he fed with five small loaves and two fish, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This is the ultimate. It doesn't get any better than this. Bread that takes away your hunger forever. It's Jesus. Please don't let that fall. On deaf ears, because you've heard it so often or heard it for a lifetime, believe it. Only Jesus can satisfy your deepest hunger. And so we're left to ask, and what are you hungering for? You could probably make a list. What do you think you need? You could make a list. What do you think will satisfy you? You can make a list because you and I are always pursuing something in this life. We're always pursuing something that we think is going to bring satisfaction and happiness and blessing. But that satisfaction and happiness and blessing proved to be elusive. When we finally take hold of that thing that we were pursuing because it's only Jesus who can satisfy. And if hunger teaches us that, then we should bless God for blessing us with hunger. If instability will teach us that lesson, then we should bless God for blessing us with instability in our lives. If being off rhythm teaches us that, then we should bless God for blessing us with being off beat. Embrace the hunger and the instability and the vulnerability, and look for Jesus in it. Look for Jesus in it. What's he teaching you? Where's he leading you? What goals is he seeking to accomplish when you pursue him and his righteousness? Hunger and thirst for that. And he'll satisfy you, and you will taste, and you will see that the Lord is good. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. Lord, these Beatitudes, they are so amazing. 
course they are. They come from you, from your heart, from your mind. And through them, you intend to bless us and how we live our lives. Father, we, I pray boldly, whether others will join in that prayer or not, that you will bring into our lives the thing that looks like hunger or the thing that looks like thirst that would cause us to, to run to you, that would cause us to be at the end of ourselves and our resources and our wit, or bring things into our lives that destabilize us and we don't know how to bring the stability back. If those things, Lord, cause us to pursue righteousness. Lord, we would rather you do, those, do that in us without the hunger, without the need, without the instability. Lord, if in your grace you do that, we thank you, we bless you for teaching us without that. But Lord, if that's what we need, we pray for it. Lord, we want to pursue you. We want to pursue righteousness. We want to want to be like you more than anything else in our lives. And we need your spirits to enable us to do that. So I pray now for each of us, Lord, that we would be blessed by you because we hunger and thirst after righteousness. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.